Welcome to the Science and Magic Podcast, where we dive deeply into conversations related to science, magic, and everything in between. I'm your host, Amanda Levesque, and I believe that life can be delicious. When we set aside time to connect with and understand our brilliant human bodies and the natural world around us, we feel more nourished, satiated, and in awe. Life is mysterious, and so are we. Let's talk about it. Hello, Science and Magic podcast listeners. Amanda Levesque here, your host. I am so excited to bring you this episode with my dear friend and colleague, Chance York. Chance and I met years ago in the Minneapolis music scene. Back in the day, if you don't know this, I ran a nonprofit arts organization and booked multidisciplinary arts shows all over the Twin Cities. So we had music, dance, spoken word, live art, you name it. And I really loved having this conversation with him because we started it here, where we used to know each other in the music scene. And we end with a delicious exchange about the nervous system, emotions, perspective, geeking out about the human body. This conversation truly has all of my favorite things, creativity, art, neuroscience, self-care, gratitude, the power of perspective. And my career as an entrepreneur truly started in the music arts world. And in some way, I feel like this episode with Chance holds a lot of the energy that has brought me to where science and magic is today. Chance is a teacher, yoga practitioner, rapper, gardener, father, friend, and force. You'll hear the way that he has a natural cadence to his delivery. You can tell he's a performer. He's very relaxed when being recorded, very easygoing. I had a blast sharing this time with him. We are very aligned and have lots of similar interests. I hope you enjoy the episode as much as I enjoyed hosting it. All right. Hi, Chance. Welcome to the Science and Magic podcast. I am so excited to have you here today. Hey, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So before we kind of get started into what you do, I always like to start these interviews from this perspective of like who you are and how you came to be who you are. So I'll start by asking the question of kind of anything you want to share about where you grew up, what your family like life might have been like, or anything from your childhood that you feel like might be relevant into who you've become. Yeah, uh, I was raised by both my parents. Um, I was born in Riverside, Minneapolis. 
Um, did a lot of growing up in the, uh, the suburb of Minnetonka, near Lake Minnetonka. Um, I have four older brothers, so I, my uh, parents met, they already had kids, so I have a half-brother on my dad's side and uh, two half-brothers on my mom's side and then a brother with both the same parents and uh, multicultural, you know, I have my, my dad is from Louisiana, African-American. Uh, my mom is from like northern Minnesota, the Iron Range, like as, uh, as, as like Nordic as it gets. Um, and I don't know, overall, I think just being the youngest brother and um, I was trying to keep up with my brothers um, made me very interested in just being like physical like sports and stuff like that and um, I've always been kind of fascinated with comic books particularly the X-Men and superheroes and stuff like that and uh, I think that really I'd say those are the biggest influences that stand out my uh, my family uh, kind of like sports and physicality and um, superpowers. Mm, I didn't know you were the the baby of the family. That's awesome. <laughs> um, I know, you know, we met nearly a decade ago in the in the performing arts scene, in the local music scene. And now here we are in the wellness world together. And I think there are so many, so many ways that those two communities can coexist. But I would love to know more about that time in your life. And I know you're still a musician, but kind of how you were a musician, you know, a decade ago when we connected and what your life was like then. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's great. I guess I could tie it back to a childhood story as well. Um, when I was, I was the littlest brother, right? I was five years old and my dad bought Michael Jackson tickets. So we went to see the bad tour at, uh, what is now the Mall of America, but it used to be called the, the Metropolitan Stadium. Um, so that was my first big stadium show, Michael Jackson, the King of Pop. I was already, uh, I'd already been like, you know, rehearsing, like singing into a comb and like dancing around my living room. So seeing um, music and the, the power of that and just like always, always feeling like I was a performer, um, brought me into just like realizing that or like manifesting that so in college I had a band we were just like a party band I rapped we played some kind of like a mix between like dub rock you know of the era type stuff I don't know we were trying to be I don't know sublime like I don't know um but I, I had a band we uh we were able to have quite a, a fair amount of success for being as like naive and dumb as we were we just had a, enough kind of like headwind um just purely being um I don't know just motivated like we just wanted it really bad so we were like you know made made a record in some little basement studio somewhere and just kept doing that and I was with that band for about must have been seven or eight years we had various types of success this was like the myspace era so we were just like 
reaching out to venues on MySpace Messenger and being like, hey, this and that. We, we'd, uh, we'd had a publicist uh, help us get some placements on TV. Some of our music was on the Kardashian show, the real world, like these random pop, <laughs> pop weird things where like our weird type of music um, was was selected to be on these shows so then off the off that on myspace that was like some pretty serious clout to be like hey well our song even though you know it wasn't like i don't i don't know how how it worked but we were able to book entire tours off of like straight up diy um stuff and we toured all around the country southern united states eastern united states um, lived in a Winnebago for like months at a time, like a Winnebago from the seventies, me and me and my buddies. And we just, uh, did that for a long time. And, and, um, I can't remember if that is, that must've been when I met you. Cause you know, um, that was roughly 2010 where that band came to an end. We played at the fine line a sold out show with uh, with some other friends more than lights and then the following month we started a new band so like two of the members of that band we brought in eric mason um real good friend of mine still and um made crunchy kids and just kind of like totally shifted directions and like changed the whole team or you know change the whole music the vibe and all that stuff but kind of didn't really lose momentum um in fact we might have even gained more momentum with that upgrade or that update and uh like i said i was more or less living in a winnebago like an old crappy winnebago from the 70s um and ended up having a kid on the way so it was like i i can't raise a kid in this winnebago um so I, I got m- more interested in, like, education. I'd always been an educator. You know, I'd worked with the Minnesota Reading Corps for the Minnesota Literacy Council. And um, I always, uh, I'd been working in schools in North Minneapolis just as, like, my day job um, over the course of the eight years of being a, being a musician. And, um, yeah, so I just started doing a lot more education stuff. I was getting my master's in teaching while Crunchy Kids was um, was being was pretty successful. Like we were doing a lot of stuff, but I don't know. At some at some point, I just got majorly burnt out on everything. I had two kids in diapers. I was working on my master's degree. I had a successful band. I was still paying the bills, uh, working a um, day job in social work, and. Uh, yeah, so I, I mean, I met you somewhere in there, <laughs> sometime in that tumultuous uh, phase of my life. Oh, I, I look back at that time period too, like a decade ago, and I, I, I'm a dancer, but how we met was I was booking shows and planning events for artists, and there was just this sweetness of that time when we were, we were kind of like, I wasn't living out of a, a Winnebago, but I was like, going to music festivals and we're hanging out with friends and there's lots of potlucks and it was this really awesome communal time and the Twin Cities has a really rich and supportive art and music scene and I love that here we are 10 years later still collaborating in this way so I wanted to name that you know for listeners Chance is a musician and performer and we share 
that love myself as a performer, as a dancer, and also I just have a sweet spot for for performers and music and art and all of these things. I remember us sitting down when you were going to be onboarded for Science and Magic and start teaching on the platform, and we were at the co-op, kind of connecting, and you shared with me the story of how you started how you started being interested in yoga and well-being. And it was, I don't remember the exact story, but it was something about a book falling off of a shelf at a really synchronistic time. Could you share that story of when that, t- yeah. when that tipping point was for you? Wow, yeah, that's, that's actually like two stories. Because at first I thought you were talking about, like, how did I get into yoga? The, first, the reason I got into yoga was because... Um, this is this was before the story that I was uh, telling you, but um, I was at Barnes and Noble buying my my books for college. I was a college freshman. I was going to school in North Dakota. Don't ask me why. I just wound up there, um, and I I'd, I'd heard somewhere from a movie or something that like yoga made you good in bed. So I was like, oh, yoga for dummies. Like sitting on the register was like all these pocket for dummies things. It's like, you know, all these random skills. And I was like, yoga for dummies. I'm going to read that thing. So I did first get interested and start practicing yoga um, because of yoga for dummies, the pocket edition. And that was the only instruction I had up until like probably like five years ago. Um, So 15 years I was practicing yoga simply off of what that book taught me. Um, the part that the story that I was telling you had to do with, um, you know, some somewhere through that burning out, uh, you know, in that stage where I just had way too much on my plate and I was just uh, nothing was giving me any satisfaction. I just was stretched in too many directions. Um, I wasn't getting enough sleep. I was, uh, you know, struggling with all types of of stuff and I just hit this crazy deep depression where I couldn't get out of it like nothing brought me joy I was just you know like looking at my kids I think I had a two-year-old at the time just like fragile and cute and I was just like "Ah," I just felt like something bad was gonna happen or like I just couldn't find joy like nothing about anything in my life was uh was making me feel any sense of okay I was a um you know, so whatever this was, was like, it was a breakthrough, but it, at the time it was very scary and I didn't know what was going on. And, um, the, the thing that I'd noticed was, um, this book that I, I think I'd bought, you know, while I was at Goodwill or something and just bought this book for whatever reason. And for whatever reason, like years later, it had come off my bookshelf I'd never read it. I didn't really even know much about it. Like maybe the title of it had had uh, caught my eye at the time. But then like all of a sudden it's like sitting on my on my uh, dining room table. The kids had it or something. I don't know how it got there, but I was like, what is this? And I like picked it up and like read the back of it. And it's like for uncertain time and all this stuff. And it just like spoke precisely to um, what I was going through where I was just like worried about the future. I was just, you know, anxious. Everything was giving me anxiety. Nothing was giving me joy. Um, and I was like, I should read this. So I started reading it. And by the <clears throat> time I was done with like the foreword or whatever, I'm like, oh, this is a book about yoga. You know, like this is, I can't even remember the name of the book. I can't remember what the book was, but I was like, oh yeah, yoga. Like I haven't really been doing that, uh, that much in the past, you know, when times started getting really rough, you know, I just got too busy and wasn't taking care of myself. And, you know, more or less probably what they would call a midlife crisis because, you know, all the 
all of the old formats and systems and beliefs that I had were no longer serving me. So I was going through this transition and I was like, yoga, oh yeah, I remember how good yoga makes me feel. I remember like that I should be doing that more often. So I'm reading this book and there's a guided meditation and the meditation was just basic, you know, it's like breathe, you know, like imagine light, like feel your body. And it was the first time I'd felt okay in probably months, you know, like, uh, so that was a reminder where I was like, wow, like this is important. And somewhere in that book is like, you know, it's easy to get in the routine of thinking about what we don't want, you know, like that's what causes anxiety when we're just picturing the worst case scenario everywhere we look. And, uh, it's just like, what do you want? You know, like, what do you want? So I started making it a kind of regular practice to start just meditating on what it is that I wanted. And um, by doing so, you know, I came to the realization that I wanted to do something along the lines of something that made me do more yoga, some some career that was different than what I was doing, like all of the, all of this stuff and more or less um, like, you know, manifested a, a teacher like out of nowhere <laughs> you know like it was the uh wasn't out of nowhere but it you know it seemed it seemed like what the hell it seemed like magic when I met this person and they're like you should be teaching yoga I was like how did you know like how come no one's ever told me this I didn't know it was possible you know like I didn't know I could and never like it was definitely somebody else's idea that I teach yoga but it was in alignment with me searching for a new career and a reason to practice more of this internal searching. Um, so yeah, that's that. That's how I got to that phase of my journey was just the, the book showing up when it needed to. Can't even remember the book, <laughs> but uh, it was just a, it pointed me back toward like you know looking inward. That's such a powerful story because I think there's a lot of people out there who also feel immense amounts of anxiety and worry and aren't sure what to do about it. And I think, you know, both of us as practitioners who help people to get into their bodies, it's such an important skill set to have. And when we've both, I also come from having experienced high amounts of anxiety through being in the performing arts kind of music industry, booking industry that I had to rework back into, okay, how do I work with my nervous system? How do I bring my body with me to work? How do I put self-care as a priority? And I need to say, Chance, like, thank goodness you're sharing yoga because you are such a refreshing instructor. I really think and feel, and I know a lot of the Science and Magic members feel this way too, is you offer from a genuine place. Like, it feels like you're not, you're not just offering a script. You're bringing you into the guidance, and that's very calming, and I admire you so much for doing that. So I'm so grateful, whoever it was, urged you to to step on this path because it's such a gift to so many. I looked at your, uh, your, your Facebook page and I loved what you wrote there, so I want to share it. My passion is helping people see their true potential. In this modern world, we're removed from the lifestyle our body was built to enjoy. I've turned my love of ancient wisdom and modern science into courses and practices to restore our natural feel good. As we rediscover our true selves, we align to our purpose, our satisfaction, and our needed impact in the world. So this is something that I can really resonate with, and our work aligns in so many ways. And I'm curious, can you speak to this connection between how we nourish the body while simultaneously realigning to our purpose? How are these things actually 
connected. Like our purpose isn't outside of us. How do you work with clients or within yourself to realign them to their purpose through their bodies? Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a great question. And, and when I even when I start talking about it, like I, I just realize it's all the same thing. It's like it's all the same thing, like whether you're trying to decrease anxiety or find more purpose in life or reconnect to the body and get out of the mind or whatever. It's all the same thing. It's about coming back. It's about coming back to center or whatever. Um, so how how I do that, I guess, I mean, uh, adding on to what you said earlier about just cre- being authentic um, that's all I really see that I'm doing is creating an experience where it's safe to look inward or, you know, safer to look inward, to feel, feel a little bit more confident. Um, because I work with all different kinds of people, all different, you know, backgrounds, education levels, ages. Like I work with five-year-olds. I teach five-year-olds how to meditate. I teach 80-year-olds how to meditate. Um, I work in corporate, I work in, uh, healthcare, I work in education. Um, you know, it's, and it's all the same thing. All I'm doing is pointing people inward back here because there is, um, an innate wisdom. There's a divine knowing, there's a type of omnipotence where, your heart knows how to beat, your blood knows how to flow, your cells know how to regenerate and split and reproduce, and they all know where they're going. So it's a trust of like, you know, your biology's got your back, but the, the biggest obstacle to it is your, your story you, you, that you tell. So the mind gets in the way. We stress ourselves out, we disembody ourselves by being worried about a future we can't control or dwelling in a past that we can't change. And really what it all comes down to is being um, in touch with that trust that your body's got your back and you just need to give it more attention. And, and um, whether that's yoga or meditation or, you know, life coaching, you know, mindfulness, whatever, whatever, it's all the same thing in my opinion. And, and that is... Um, you know, the world is coming from you more than it's coming at you. Oh, that's so good. Your biology and your body have your back. That is, that's it. And that's the approach that I take too of how do we carve out space for you to connect to you? Because you know what you need and your body knows what you need. And so carving out space to build that connection will help us all reawaken to our purposes. It's such a beautiful approach. So in your sharings, and even right now, you talk a lot about the power of perspective and how we can kind of consciously choose the way we see the environment and the world comes from within us. Can you share an example of a perspective shift for yourself that's created a powerful change in your life or maybe one that you've witnessed in someone else? Yeah, tons. I mean, every day. Every day I have an example. Let me, I was like... There's, there's so many, um, you know, there's so many that I could pick from, so I don't, I don't want to make it, like, too vast, but just the simplest ones. Um, when I, like, help coach people, there's a uh, really simple perspective shift of, 
Um, I mean, because everything comes down to your relationship with the world, right? With yourself, with the world. It all comes down to how you relate. And that's a quote from Bruce Lee where, uh, you know, he says, all types of knowledge ultimately mean self-knowledge. And another quote that he has is, uh, you know, life is a constant process of relating. And, and, that's, and that's all it is. It's all about, you know, your story is the one that you tell, you, you, you tell yourself over and over again. Unconsciously, we're telling ourselves a story all the time about who we are, what we like, what we don't, so on. Um, and these simple, simple shifts in perspective change the entire story of, of, what, of what we believe. So therefore, where it's headed, you know, like who's the good guy, who's the bad guy, what's, you know, what's to come, like where, how's this story end or what's the next chapter look like or whatever. So a, a really helpful perspective shift that I use often and I share with people often I'm not even, I've, I've heard it from several sources, so I don't want to like, like basically everything I'm telling you, I learned from someone else. I'm not like, I'm not like just full of awesome quotes, but I don't always remember where I heard the quotes. So um, uh, this technique, I believe, um, I would, I can directly remember Brennan Burchard saying, he's a life coach, uh, kind of mindset coach guy. Um but it's a simple practice of the um, I, I got to, I get to. So um, when we go through our, uh, just imagine a busy day in your life, like a stressful day in your life. Oh, I got to get up really early. I got to, you know, feed these dogs. I got to feed these kids. I got to do this. I got to sit in traffic. I got to go teach this class. I got to do this. And you tell the story as I, I got to or I have to, right, as though it's a burden. And by simply shifting that into I get to, I get to wake up early, I get to feed these dogs, I get to, you know, wake up these kids, I get to, you know, sit in my car in traffic, I get to go, you know, and, and, and just simple, simply put, turning all of the things that you're, you know, uh, complaining about into your blessings, like you get to do this, is a very simple perspective shift um, that will will not only like just change and grow more impactful every time you practice it but um you know just bring you back into um the truth and the truth the truth is no matter how bad your life is somebody's got it worse and uh most likely they might have a better attitude about it than you do so um on the whole range of things as we live in this like you know world of, uh, you know, I'd say excess or opportunity or abundance or whatever. Um, we have a lot of options, not, not saying like everyone is in the exact same boat. We're not in the same boat. We're all on the same river, different boats. As that was just in a conversation I had before this, we're all in the same river flowing towards something, but we're all in our own uniquely different boat. You know, you're born into a set of circumstances, then that those circumstances lead to you being able to build skills or, you know, accumulate trauma or whatever. Um, we all are in a completely, we're all um, unique, but we're all connected. Um, and when you do this, you, you find compassion for others because, um, Mostly the things that we complain about are directly tied to our blessings. They're, we're complaining about our blessings. So I gotta get up early. It's like, I'm lucky to be able to get up early. You know, I gotta feed these dogs. I'm lucky to have these dogs. I gotta do this. I'm lucky to have those kids. Because everything is temporary. You know what? Dogs die. People die. Cars break down. Jobs vanish. All the stuff that you're currently complaining about 
in some way, shape, or form is inspired by a blessing that you currently have that you are not appreciating, you're complaining about. And, uh, you know, to some degree, that's helpful perspective because, like, I, I, I know my, me, myself, the, you know, the tendency, the story, the, the basically baseline human nature is we think poor me. That's, that's, the, that's the tone of the narrator. It's like, I, poor me, you know, like this seems hard. I don't want it. And I think it's just helpful to do that. I got to, I get to. If you catch yourself saying, I have to do this, what does it feel like? You know, simple word shift, but a completely different change in tone and meaning, you know, because, um, you know, even like no matter how shitty your past is, um, you, there's no way you can change the past but you can change the meaning of the past you know that and that's that's where the work takes place where what is the story you're telling yourself do you even realize you're telling yourself a story and what would be a a more fruitful helpful story role slash you know character that you are embodying that'll bring you toward where you actually want to go your truest self i love this i the shift of I have to versus I get to. And when you think of how that influences the body, that simple perspective shifts will help us walk around the world in a different way. So then all of a sudden our posture changes because you're like, oh, I get to be here. Our mood shifts, our energy shifts, and the way that we're interacting with people shifts. So it starts influencing behavior. And that's why perspective is so powerful. When we can consciously shift our perspective, our behavior changes, our energy shifts, the way that our environment responds to us shifts. It's really, really powerful stuff. And I saw that you have a video on your Facebook page that I was watching about gratitude and the powerful effects of cultivating appreciation. I was wondering if you could share with our listeners the, a little synopsis of the neurochemical benefits of gratitude you had a nice acronym that you were sharing and kind of how how gratitude might filter into our life since we're talking about shifting our perspective to one of gratitude and appreciation yeah um so with that whole perspective shift of i got to i get to like you said it not only changes your behavior but it changes your chemistry because the story that you're telling yourself your body is making that real it's making it real um so, you know, not only are you going to stand different, but your heart's going to beat different. You're going to breathe differently. You're, you know, those um, behind the scenes uh, magical things going on with cellular repair and, you know, hormones and your endocrine system. All of that stuff is taking place depending on what you believe about your current situation. Um, that appreciation post was inspired by one of my other teachers, a neuroscientist, um, Dido Bala. He's um, located down in uh, Miami and um, he, uh, he works closely with the Goldie Hawn Foundation who has a, a, a big uh, mindfulness movement and curriculum. And um, he, uh, I've, I've got to take several trainings with him and get trained in the Mind Up curriculum. Really good guy, really inspirational. But we we're doing a, <clears throat> he first showed a video of people doing this practice. And the summary of the practice 
So like the, the video that he showed us is people are like on this, you know, basically auditioning for like a TV show. They don't really know what's going on, but they're given a uh, more or less like preliminary survey about how they feel and, and so forth. And then they get an assignment of writing a paragraph about someone that you that inspires you and why and why you appreciate them and, and all that. And then they're asked to call that person and read that to them. And that is like such a um, simple, like it's just like simple, obvious, like, oh, yeah, duh. But like almost everybody starts crying. (laughs) And it's like, you know, like it's so not only did I like watch this video and then do do this with a group and then watch how like crazy like the emotions got like, you know, people just like welling up in tears and like sobbing and like. You know, all this stuff, like, really, there's a whole depth of ocean where you just dip your toes in an exercise like this, and all of a sudden, won't we get just, like, uh, washed over with the waves of, like, holy crap, maybe I haven't been appreciating the people in my life, or being able, or having a reason or a know-how of how to express this appreciation. So the act of getting over it, what's funny when you watch it, is, like, societally, everybody's first reaction not everybody but like a vast majority of everyone's first reaction if they get a call from somebody telling reading about how much they appreciate them people are like are are you okay like do you need help like is there something wrong like everybody's initial reaction to being like openly appreciated is like somebody thinks somebody's dying or somebody thinks they're about to get some really bad news, or something like a, a, our knee-jerk reaction is like to put our defenses up because it's so strange in our society to just uh, appreciate people, like just like wholeheartedly, thoughtfully reach out to somebody to appreciate them. Now, you know, you can do that whole project, or it can be simpler than that, just an easy little text message to somebody, an easy little gift of you know you know whatever little thing to just be like i see what you're doing i appreciate you it's like a monstrous powerful um practice uh that that you can do and then in the chemicals you know the neuroscience of it um that that quote that i said your uh well i mean i kind of paraphrased it but like your biology's got your back that was my my guy dito had said that. that was the first time i'd heard that and uh he talks about oxytocin, you know, the hug, the hug hormone where you feel a connection to someone else. How if you hug somebody for 10 seconds, your body goes into a process of releasing these, um, you know, chemical compounds or whatever that heal your body. Um, also, I think the acronym that you're talking about um, is the word DOES, D-O-E-S. And um, that has to do with four, you know, four compounds, <clears throat> dopamine oxytocin, endorphins, and serotonin, and those are chemicals that make your body feel good. And by doing an exercise like this, it's, you get a dose of all of these things. Um, you know, we're used to dopamine highs. You know, if you eat something rich and savory, if you get notifications from your apps, if you have any addictions to drugs or food or whatever, that's all dopamine where it gives you this spike of like, feel good it actually motivates you to go get that thing but it doesn't last long so we get addicted to dopamine but really the feel-good chemicals the longer lasting things that we want flowing through our body would would involve that oxytocin the endorphins the serotonin not just the dopamine 
So looking for realizing that feeling good is not just there's not only one way to feel good, but there's not, there's also several ways in which those um, show up in your body and um, how to get a blend of of all of those things instead of just one of those things, um, because a lot of those things that give us dopamine in the long term deplete the other stuff. So it might make you feel good momentarily, but make it might make it harder to feel good in the future because of your relationship to it. Um, so yeah, appreciating people. It is a free, huge dose of life. Um, and uh, I, I implore everybody to try it out. Oh, I that exercise sounds so powerful because I know for me and people who I've spoken with, sometimes when you're having a crabby day, you just like kind of wake up on the wrong side of bed or something really pissed you off. It's hard to like reach for gratitude. It's really hard to be like, I'm appreciative of anything because you're just in a funk. But what I love about this exercise is that even if you're not quite feeling grateful, you can ping a friend because part of of gratitude is not just making the list and thinking of it intellectually, it's feeling it because that's the neurochemistry. So you can just reach out to a friend or a family member or tell an, an acquaintance or something, I'm grateful for you in this moment. And the response, their response can kind of pull you out of that. Even if you're not quite feeling it by expressing it, you can send out that ping for help, like, oh, well, I'm grateful for you. And eventually work yourself up to feeling it, right? But even if you don't, just sending it in that list format intellectually. And when you get it back, sometimes you can't help but feel that response. So it it kind of can pull you out of a funk. It's pretty powerful. That is the power of community. Thank you for sharing yes. that. And yeah, you know, I, I like I like that um, another um, another like neuroscience aspect of it is mirror neurons. Um, this this kind of innate ability to mirror what's what's in front of you so if even if you're in a funk if you do something that brightens someone else's day it's going to brighten your day at least at least a little bit um so yeah Yeah. mirror neurons are amazing and for listeners who haven't heard about mirror neurons essentially when someone's doing something and you see it the, the neurons that are firing in their brain, you have a set of neurons that fire in response. And so you're feeling what they're doing. And essentially, it's correlated to empathy in many ways. And it's, it's an amazing process and thing to ponder. It makes sense to me, like if I'm watching a movie and someone gets like their finger chopped off or something, I like, I like it's when you like cower, you're like, ow. It's because we can literally, to some degree... Not all the way, but we can feel that pain. It's not just an intellectual thing. Our body senses it. So mirror neurons with gratitude can be an amazing way to stimulate some of that neurochemistry. We can rely on each other to help us get some of that. So thank you for that tip. So I want to pivot back to your your creativity and how you create music and I want to talk a bit about that. So in what ways do you feel like your relationship to music and creativity have shifted since you stepped into your path of well-being? Has your creative process changed? Has your music itself changed? If at all, like I'm not even sure if it has, but I'm just kind of curious around that topic. Yeah, um, it has 
for sure. Um, I guess two two parts to it would be how did it how did it change regarding my own kind of like personal exploration and how did it change uh, through COVID um, because live shows were, were basically uh, in hibernation for a while. Um, so yeah, when I when I first um, when I first started practicing yoga at Radiant Life with Matt. Portwood, Jaina Portwood, and um, V, V Boehm, she's also a musician. Um, it was very much like, it just made a lot of sense, because I was already trying to make like, you know, I always viewed myself as like not mainstream hip-hop, like I wasn't trying to just be like bling bling, I was trying to be like counterculture to that, but also like I don't know, it was a little bit less clear for me what exactly my message was, but I've always been into, like, ancient wisdom. I've always wanted to say things, like, being on tour and playing, like, tons of shows, you realize you have to repeat these things over and over again. So I started <clears throat> writing songs with an awareness that, like, can, are you going to be able to say this like you mean it hundreds of times over and over again? So I've always been thoughtful about my lyrics and trying trying to aim for, like, a better message uh, like I shouldn't say always like not all, like some of my music is dumb dumb college music um and just overall you know whatever but as as I've progressed you know I, ma- I made more and more of a point to to try to figure out exactly who who I was as a you know rapper that wasn't wasn't just trying to rap about the basic rap stuff trying to teach life trying to be an MC. um And, you know, ancient wisdom, there's always pieces. I listen to old music, I'm like, that was actually really, you know, that was really profound. That was really wise and stuff from my early lyrics, but, you know, they're few and far between. When I first started practicing at Radiant Life, um, the producer Big Cats and I made made a record in, like, eight days um, called Highest Self. I was very inspired by, you know, everything going on. I was more or less like this, this... uh, this little EP is all about kind of the stuff that I'm learning in yoga school or the stuff that I'm getting frameworks to put into, you know, whatever. So I made my first record while I was in yoga school was called highest self. And it was about those concepts. Um, and then the, um, that was probably 2016 end of 2016. And then my following record was called deep, dark hope, which was just a, progression of that that same thing the more I was learning about the more I was trying to share helpful um, perspectives also kind of documenting my journey and um, I thought it was really cool it turned out turned out pretty neat Um, and that was my last record I dropped before COVID by far my most successful as far as like being a cohesive snapshot of my life at that point but it still holds the test of time it's still like my favorite stuff and that's going on three years ago that it was released um but the uh the pandemic really changed a a lot because what I did it was it was just like my creative time and space was no longer because I'm such a show oriented type of person like I make songs so I can perform them that's what I love to do um 
But when, you know, COVID hit, I was like, my creative capacity should be going toward instruction right now. Like, how can I give people what they need? You know, like, I don't have a rap rap song to to serve the people through these moments, but I do have a yoga lesson that I could make, you know. And then, so my shift really just went toward how do I create content to share? And I think that's that's been, um, that's taken a lot of, of that same creative energy that I used to put toward music. Now that shows are coming back and stuff and people are asking to, you know, are you going to play this show or whatever? I'm like, I haven't, I've, I've made maybe a handful of songs this year when I used to make a handful of songs every week, you know, like, so there is an overlap or there is my creative uh, focuses is, have definitely shifted way more toward how do I create education? How do I create helpful instruction? How do I, you know, not, not crowd the lane or like take opportunities from these younger hungrier artists that you know there's only so many stages there's only you know whatever so recognizing that like am I like taking opportunity from somebody who wants it way more than me so music is definitely a passion of mine because I love to create but there's been so much need and demand and opportunity for me to create um you know, stuff regarding wellness, that that's where a lot, of, a lot more of my time goes. Oh, I'm so glad you pointed that out because I feel that too. And I haven't danced in over a year and a half. I was a part of a cabaret group before COVID hit. And this is the longest I've gone without performing or dancing in my life. And I'm sure a lot of artists out there, yeah, it's like, where do you put that creative energy? And I totally feel that. Like every time I write an email, even this, every time I prepare for a podcast interview, everything, that's all creative energy. And it's how we're channeling it. It's really interesting. And I also want to highlight what you said about creating the Higher Selves record in eight hours. Okay, so what I find that wellness and wellness practices and nourishing the nervous system, one of the biggest takeaways for me, in addition to just feeling better, is high states of creativity. Because when, you, when you're in a state of survival, it's not optimal to create just biologically. So when you're able to calm your system out of a state of fight or flight, of anxiety, creativity almost pours through you, marked by what might take a month to create a record. I don't even know how long you know, albums take to create. <laughs> what like happened lo- in eight long. hours? Yeah. yeah, well, for sure. I think the whole record was like, it was like eight days, but still, that was like super highly oh, creative. Uh, yeah. <laughs> No, but still, you're right, though. It was, they were so hand-in-hand related. Like, the being in yoga school, unblocking all these things, being very inspired by, like, how deep, how much work I had left to do, how clear it all seemed at the the moment where it's like, this is all new, and, like, I just got so much potential in everything. The... The creative blocks in, in like, this was close, this was in the same year of, like, me being in, like, a deep depression to being, like, liberated or feeling like, you know, it was, it was very highly, um, highly creative, very easy, you know, I'm just like, I'm gonna sit down, I know something good's gonna come from it, because I, you know, this is what I, this is so helpful to me, and, um, absolutely, the, like, yoga, meditation, everything, it, it just puts the noise away to make whatever you intend to do come a little bit easier. And, you know, jumping back to a Bruce Lee quote, um, 
or you know a, a Bruce Lee concept that I understood is like uh, you know the Tao de Jeet Kune Do is um, about the yin yang. You know, it's similar to the yin and yang. It's it's there, um, the give and the take, the light and the dark. So some concepts that I took from reading his books was like the extreme opposite of one immediately follows the extreme of of the other so say you're throwing your hardest punch like your young energy at the end of your hardest punch you're the absolute weakest you know so like that's the this this give and take and um his style you know jeet kune do the the way of the intercepting fist means being able to adapt if the if your opponent or the world is coming at you very fiercely it's like coil back you know use your yin energy to be loose and like you know soft and like ease back because that immediately following their hardest attack they're going to be at their weakest so it's about like timing and coordination it's about observation and and um, response and so this same concept applies to even how he like throws a punch whereas like you know your, your muscles work in pairs where your, you know, your tricep extends the arm at the elbow, your bicep closes the arm at the elbow. And if you're throwing a punch, you know, an inexperienced fighter is flexing both. You know? They're trying to make their, they're trying to punch hard, and ultimately what they're doing is flexing the muscle that is slowing their fist down and um, you know, more or less working twice as hard to throw a half as effective punch. So the most effective fighter is always the loosest fighter, the most relaxed fighter, because it's about coordination. When do you, where, where are you engaging and where are you softening? So like the idea of throwing a punch, the idea of whatever you're trying to create, if you're not aware of the coordination of yin and yang or these opposite energies going on, you're basically working twice as hard for half of the impact. So if you realize where to let go of stuff, where to soften, then what you're trying to do comes a lot easier. And I think that's what yoga taught me about everything is like, hey, you can't, you don't force stuff because you're going to get a way weaker result if you're just pushing it. It's like, what can you, how can you relax into this while being like, you know, uh, exerting the energy while not exerting energy to, to lessen your impact? So good. This is what I work with my clients on because I, I work with a lot of high achievers, a lot of hyperproductive people who aren't necessarily buying into the fact that they just want to rest to rest. Like they're like, well, what's rest going to get me? So then I go, okay, well, rest is good innately just because rest is good. But also rest is quite literally productive if you shift it like from into that perspective because the results that you get when having that harmony between productivity or at like action and stepping back, your results are going to be way more potent as demonstrated by this concept that you're describing. And so this feeds into my next question very well because, you know, I work with high achievers. So a lot of high achievers listen to this podcast. And I'm curious, one thing that I like to ask anyone that I interview, I know you're busy, Chance. I know that you have, you go from A to B to C. You have a lot of stuff going on. You have a family, you have kids, you have a dog, you have a house. It's a lot to keep up with. What do you do? What practices do you do to take care of your nervous system, to practice that softness? Mm. 
Yeah, that's a good question. You know, it varies. <clears throat> I try to always create time for whatever whatever my body's calling for. I teach a lot of yoga, so I demonstrate the majority of the classes. So I get that kind of kickback from I'm teaching, but I'm also nourishing my body. But I I know that's not going to be the whole. I know that's not going to be my whole self care practice. So you know, sometimes I get a lot of physicality while I'm while I'm teaching the yoga or whatever. Um, so I, I've been into a lot of uh, qigong or seated meditation, um, breath work, stuff like that. So it really varies day by day. Um, you know, I was I was on a stint. I've it, not so much in the past like month or so, but uh, we just had another baby. So I had a lot of really good routines that I'm trying to like get back in place. We have she's three months old now, so. Um, I was doing Qigong five days a week, like a half hour practice. Very, you know, it's just very slow moving. It's very energy, you know, based where you're just feeling the energy, how your feet are touching the ground. Very simple. Um, So I was doing that really routinely. Now I'm getting it in once or twice a week. But really it just varies. I always make some time. Seated meditation, I'm frequently doing. I'm doing a lot of I'm always trying to train too, so I have. Uh, I'm getting trained in a couple curriculums. I'm working with Tools for Peace out of LA. So you know, with them, we're doing like in a two-hour meeting, we're doing like you know half hour or more of meditation and stuff like that. And then I'm just I'm like teaching like all the time, I'm going from one thing to the other. But basically, like the hardest part of my work day is uh, driving there. You know, like that's that's about it. So as far as taking care of myself, sometimes it's yoga, sometimes it's learning from new teachers, sometimes it's qigong, sometimes it's seated meditation, sometimes it's breath work. I always take cold showers. That's a it's uh, a type of meditation that I do, where you know, very cold water stimulates a response where you want to like tense up and just the act of calming your body and softening your body into that cold like letting the cold in rather than trying to block it out um i do that every day um i mean that's really good for your immune system too i haven't been sick in as long as i can remember knock on wood um but yeah since i started making that a regular practice um cold exposure that's uh that's been really good for my nervous system. It just helps me realize, like, oh, I'm really tight in the shoulder or whatever. Because when cold water rushes over you, you'll feel it anywhere where you're holding tension. It it gets loud. It gets you know, it gets intense. So you know, your jaw, your neck, your shoulders, or whatever. Cold water. That's uh, that's something I I do consistently. Oh my gosh, cold is amazing. And it's funny. A lot of people are really resistant to it, but I love our shared passion of cold exposure because it has done wonders for my nervous system. I mean, you get in there and like for me, I'll almost start to hyperventilate a little bit or like my, like I lose control of my breath. But I, you know, I work with that and I consciously try to deeply breathe and then I settle into it and I relax and it just teaches you so much, much about your, your response and your nervous system response. So that's amazing. And what stood out to me is that you have daily practices you also let them go if life gets in the way. And that's a part of this too. We don't want to become too rigid. And then your well-being is interwoven into your life. So even if you know, a listener is not a yoga instructor per se or a meditation guide, there are ways to 
create self-care along with your day. So as you're walking into work, you can walk in a way of mindfulness. That can be a meditation. There's ways there's ways to bring these practices into your day where it's not necessarily you have to carve out a chunk of two hours to be well, you know? So there's lots of different ways to express that and nourish the nervous system. So I know, Chance, you have a lot of incredible classes in the Science and Magic portal. Actually, the uh, Wim Hof breathwork is one of my favorite ones since we were just talking about the cold bath. But you also have yoga classes, you have chanting, there's just so much goodness in the portal for our members. If listeners want to experience your offerings in other ways, where else can they find you? What do you have going on right now? What, what offerings do you have? Oh man, I, uh, there's, there's a lot going on. Depends on where in the world you are. Um, I have a, a weekly Hatha class available through One Yoga that's um, virtual. So, um, and I've, I've got quite a few videos on the wellness platform called WellBeats. You might, depending on what your job is, you might have access to WellBeats through your job. They, they deal with a lot of um, big companies uh, that provide that, that stuff there. Um, you can always follow me on Instagram, Chance Connected, um, no spaces. And, you know, I've just, I've been working on a lot of, um, you know, the preliminary stuff to doing different studies regarding um, heart health. So I've been, uh, one, one is a study on men's heart health and uh, another study that on the preliminary uh, phase of just creating is... Uh, how uh, forgiveness, mindfulness and forgiveness um, help children's literacy. Um, so those are a couple of the things I'm working on. But if you're looking for uh, what I'm doing, there's lots of offerings um, that come up, that come and go. So follow me on Instagram or just email me at uh, chanceconnected at gmail. Um, you know, you mentioned working with high performers. I help a lot of people uh, in, with this in the same in the same realm, people that have high stress, high impact stuff, and how is it that you clear away what really matters? How do you separate the essential from the routine kind of noise? Um, I want to give a shout out to one of the people that I worked with, um, Sam Cavanaugh, just became the, the champion of Jeopardy. Um, I was very uh, like humbled first off to work with him, and then um, not even fascinated and not surprised that he uh he won he made it through the whole champion championship that's what so he initially had started talking to me about about how to prepare for this hall of champions where they're shooting back-to-back episodes and and like you know just high pressure stuff and you know it's obviously like very intellectual but it's performance based so there's just a lot of you know there's a lot of things that happen when when the pressure's on and um, I love working with people that have, uh, have stuff like that going on, whether it's creativity, performance, um, you know, just the corporate grind and high pressure and having a team of people looking up to you and leadership and all that stuff. I really, um, I'm really pretty confident that uh, I have helpful, I have help, helpful perspectives to offer um, in, into that stuff you're so you chance and it's such a gift to all of us and you have so much goodness to share if you could leave listeners with kind of one thing that one one nugget 
just to leave our listeners with, what would that be? Just to kind of end this. One piece of advice from all of your wealth of knowledge and experience or what's on your mind. Yeah, you got to take time to make time. That's, that's what it is. You have to you have to take the time to make the time, and it's and it's uh, you know, it's really fascinating how much time we do have in a day. No matter how busy you are, or no matter how busy you feel, when you start prioritizing, taking the time to make the time, um, everything else just falls away. The, the noise, the routine, and you might you might notice that you've been spending a lot of your energy uh, on things that are actually only holding you back. So um, take that, take the time to make the time. You have the answers somewhere inside you, but they're not just going to pop up. You have to dig for them. That's awesome. Thank you so much for being here on this podcast, Chance. So wonderful. Hopefully we'll have you on again. Thank you. Always a pleasure. I always love exchanging ideas with Chance. I hope that you enjoyed our conversation as well. He is such a multifaceted, talented, kind human being, and I am so lucky to have him share yoga and breathwork classes on the Science and Magic portal, which you can check out for yourself as early as right now. All you have to do is head on over to my website and click the membership tab. I'll link it below. If you haven't checked out the Science and Magic portal, definitely get on in there. It offers a plethora of embodiment and learning classes that nourish the nervous system. They connect us to our bodies and ultimately sync us with the cycles of the earth. Thank you so much for tuning in. We have many amazing episodes ahead of us. If you liked what you heard, definitely hit subscribe to make sure that you don't miss any of the goodness that is coming. This will also increase the rankings of the show and make it more likely for others to find us. Remember, we're a brand new podcast, so any and all subscribes, reviews, and shares are so deeply appreciated as we get off the ground with this information. I am confident that this community of listeners and interviewees will continue to swirl and whirl in the most magical way. Thank you for being here. Until next time.